This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. Amen. God bless you. Please grab a seat. I was, uh, I think I was about 16 years old. It was in the summer between my junior and senior year of high school. And Angie and I were dating, and we each had summer jobs. She nannied for a family, and I worked for a construction company. And we'd gone out on a date the night before, and it was late, so I took her home. We'd taken her car, uh, and I took it home, and I was going to pick her up the next morning at her house and take her and drop her off at her job. And I, I woke up five minutes before I was supposed to be at work. And this was back before cell phones, before like, I'm in panic mode. So I got dressed real quick, jumped in the car, and I'm flying down the road. In fact, the road that went right in front of our high school. And I knew I was moving at a pretty good clip. And up the road, I see there's a guy standing on the left side that kind of steps into the road. And I thought, he better move. And I look down and I'm going over 100 miles an hour. And as I pass him, it's the popo. And now, remember when I began telling you this, I said, I was 16. I've not always been a pastor. And even though I am today, I am not perfect. I'm on the journey with you. I mess up just like you do. But the thought that went through my mind, my 16-year-old stupid, stupid mind, I thought, he can't catch me. (laughs) The light in front of me moved to yellow and red, and I just flew through it because I thought, you know what, if he pulls out, I need to get this light. Like a cop has to stop for a light if he's chasing somebody. And I went up and I turned left into this neighborhood and I thought, I'm good. And I was great until I looked in the rearview mirror and I saw the flashing raspberries and blueberries and pulled over. And um, that officer that day, and by the way, if you're in law enforcement, huge respect because you have to deal with knuckleheads like me. And man, I honor you in a culture and a world that has bashed you. I respect the junk out of you. And thank you so much for what you do. But when he, when he got me out of the car, um, he, he, he was not happy nor in a good mood. I'll just say it like that. And he said some things that I really can't repeat, but I, I was standing over the hood of his car. My hands were on that hood. Like it was, it was a moment. We got very close. And... Um, we had a conversation, and I thought, I'm done. I'm going to jail. This is over. I'm a high school kid. Now, fortunately, this was back in the day, no cell phones. I knew my dad's phone number. Remember if you're over 30 years old when we had to memorize people's phone numbers? I can't even tell you my kid's phone numbers now. I just push a button. But I knew my dad's number. I'm thinking, okay, that one phone call I get, I'm hoping he answers, because if he doesn't, like, I don't want to make best friends with people in jail. I I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm freaking out. And I had this thought. I need, to, I need to let the officer know. And so I said, sir, um, I, I didn't really know you were an officer until I was going by you, not because of my speed, but if you look at my driver's license, I'm supposed to wear contacts, and I don't have them in today. And so I did, and, and I'm thinking maybe he'd be like, oh, okay, well, I won't take you to jail because not only you're dumb, you're blind, and so I'll just give you an extra ticket. And I'm thinking maybe this is my way out. And somehow, I mean, it was just the grace of God and that, that officer, man, he didn't have to do this, and I don't even know why he did this, but he didn't take me to jail. He did give me an extra ticket for the contact lens issue, and I, I got a really good talking to that I've never forgotten. I was 16 years old. I'm 50 none your business today, and I can tell you everything he said. 
I remember it vividly. But I just knew I'm going to jail. I'm about to live my life locked up. And I was thinking about that this week. And the reality is, every single week, there are people in this room living locked up. You may not be sitting there listening to me behind a wall of bars. But you're sitting there and there are areas of your life that are confined and restricted. You're not looking through a wall of bars, but you're looking through a cloud of stress, the day-to-day life that you live in. And there's some area or maybe multiple areas in your life that you're living locked up. And then we look at the Word of God and in Scripture, the Bible says that Jesus came to give us a full and abundant life. And how is it that when Jesus said, hey, not just after this life, but before you go to heaven, in this life, I came that you might live an abundant, an overflowing, a full life, your best life. How are we missing our best life when Jesus died, yes, to save our sin? He shed his blood for our sin. Yes, to give us a home in heaven after this life, but also so that we could experience life on another level in this life. One of the greatest tragedies is to live a life less than what God created you to live. We only get to do this one time. You got one shot at life. I've got one shot at life. And Jesus offers ultimate freedom. So why would we live locked up? This morning, before I say what I'm about to say, I need you to hear these words. I want to help you. I want to help you. What we're going to talk about for many of you, in fact, a majority of you, is going to be uncomfortable. You're going to have some pushback. You might be frustrated. You might even get a little bit angry. But I want to ask you to do something I know you can do because... You're not average. You're an above average congregation. And I want to ask you to have the courage to listen, not only with an open mind, but an open heart and open soul. Is God saying something to you today? Because it's in the uncomfortable places that we grow. If you want to change your life and change your nutrition, you've got to change your eating plan and it's uncomfortable. If you want to be physically fit, you've got to hit the gym and it's uncomfortable. Nobody, you know those people when you go to the gym and you walk in and they're standing there talking to somebody and you work out for an hour and a half and you're leaving and they're still standing there talking to somebody, different crowd, but all they do is talk. The only their mu- muscle they're working is their jaw. You know those people at the gym? Like, can you get off the freaking machine? You're just sitting there on your cell phone, get the fat out of Dodge and let me use the machine. You know those people? The only way anything grows is if you go to uncomfortable places and stress yourself to the point that it's not comfortable. It's not comfortable to change your eating plan. It's not comfortable to change how you do fitness. But if you don't, listen, your life is designed perfectly to give you the results you're currently getting. So if you're tired of being locked up, there's some things you've got to change. And it requires a little bit of an awkward conversation. Because in the life of C3, we want you to experience a better life. And you get a better life by becoming better at life. That doesn't mean it becomes problem-free. It doesn't mean it's struggle-free. It does mean a majority of you in this room can live beyond what you're currently living. So today I want to sit down and just have a brief brief conversation. We're, We're in a coffee shop. You pick the coffee. 
you get to decide what you want, and I want to have a conversation about finances. <laughs> Some of you right there are like, seriously, for real? No, no, listen, listen, listen. This is Time Change Sunday. You've got an extra hour of sleep. You can take it. And it's something that I think is going to be immensely helpful because the reality is Jesus talked more about money and stuff than he did about baptism. Jesus talked more about our money and how we manage it and stuff than he did communion. Jesus talked more about money and stuff than he did prayer. Over 2,000 verses in the Bible about money and stuff and how we navigate it because our God knows that is one of the most difficult, most challenging areas in life. It's one of the top two reasons for divorce. It's one of the primary reasons for stress. And we think about money all the time. And so if you're a guest this morning, you, you came on an awesome Sunday because you get to see and experience the fact that we don't, we don't avoid difficult subjects. We talk about what's real in life and what's, what we're navigating in life. And every single day, you and I make tons of decisions about our finances and about how we manage our stuff. But I need to give you a disclaimer, just kind of a disclaimer to keep in mind as we talk about this. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christ follower, I want you to know we're thrilled you're here and you're welcome here all the time. I also want you to know what we're going to talk about today. You don't have to do this stuff. You don't have to do this stuff. The other disclaimer is, if you are a Christ follower, I, I want you to know what we're going to talk about today. You don't have to do this stuff. You don't have to do anything we're talking about, the verses we're going to look at, the principles from Scripture we're going to talk about, what I believe God wants me to share with you. You don't have to do it. And if you don't do it, if you don't do it, I will not be mad at you. I will be sad for you. Because God has some very clear instruction about how we're to navigate our financial lives. Because I think most of us, if not all of us, want to live in financial freedom. If I were to ask you this morning, hey, how many of you want to be blessed? I think just about every hand in the room would go up. I, I can't think of too many people that say, no, no, no. If God's passing out blessing, please skip over me. I want a life that sucks, a marriage that's terrible. I want to, I want to be horrific as a parent. I don't care about my career. I just, don't bless me. I think we all want to be in a place where we're blessed by God. We want to live in financial freedom. And we have different ideas of what financial freedom is. Some people say financial freedom is paying off debt. And paying off debt, that is awesome. We need to pay off debt. You're paying 85,000% interest on credit cards, buying stuff you don't even have anymore or don't like anymore. Debt is something we need to get out of, but I know people who've paid off their debt and still live miserable lives. Paying off debt is not the only component to financial freedom. Another thing some people say is financial freedom is, man, if I can just save up for a rainy day, if I can have an account with, a, with enough in that account that I'm covered for a rainy day, I'll have financial freedom. Really? How much do you need to save for the worst possible thing to happen in your life to happen and you still be covered. One of the things I've discovered about the rainy day account is what you need in it is always called more. Is a rainy day account a good idea? Heck yeah. Save up, have an emergency fund, have a rainy day account. You need to have those things, but that in and of itself does not bring you to financial freedom. Then there are people that say, oh, I know, the way I'm, the way I'm gonna get financially free, pastor, you don't worry about it, I, I'm, I'm trying to win the lottery. There is power in the Powerball. $1.9 billion I hear as of Friday. Have you, <laughs> have you ever read the stories of people who won the lottery? Two years later, they're broke and they don't like anybody and nobody likes them. The only thing you get when you win the lottery is you're the most popular person anybody in your family knows for about six months. 
And if you say no to them, they hate you. If you say yes to them, they rob you, and you end up with nothing. You cannot take something good and put it into a bad system, bad thinking, bad patterns, and expect great results. Like, if you were going to have all that in a bag of chips, you'd already have it. There's some things you've got to change in how you function and the patterns of your life and the systems of your life and how you think. And so here's the formula. Wise thinking plus wise actions equals a better life. Wise thinking plus wise actions equals a better life. Every Sunday in this room, we talk about some spiritual principle from Scripture. And there are many people that think that's true. It's right there in the Word. That's, that's true. But wise thinking, that's true. It's not enough. You've got to do something with it. James, the brother of Jesus, said in James chapter 1, verse 22, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. That, that's not going to work for me right now. Man, after I get the raise after I get the bonus, after I get some stuff paid off, after we deal with some, some bills, some medical bills we have, after we navigate some things, maybe, maybe at that point, don't deceive yourself. Do what it says. True financial freedom is two things, God's provision and God's protection. God's provision and God's protection. And God says in scripture, if you want my provision, if you want my protection, here's what you've got to do. It's going to require an act of faith. You have to trust me, and you have to obey what I'm teaching. And if you do that, you'll have my provision and my protection. God's provision. He's going to provide for you no matter what. Hold on. Why? Pastor, why, why would you talk about finances with the economy that we're living in right now? I don't like to brag about the expensive places I go to. But Friday, I went to the grocery store. <laughs> Pastor, do you, do you know what milk costs now? Beef, do you know what beef costs now? Do you know what cereal, you shouldn't even eat cereal anyway, don't eat that crap. But, but do you know, like, why would you talk about finances when the world is turned upside down? Inflation, is, it's gone cray-cray. They're saying we may be out of diesel in a couple weeks. Like it's, it's like anywhere you look in the news, scare the hell out of you. Like that, that's just the reality. Man, it's bad. The housing market, it's already started to come down. Like why would you talk about that? Because listen, if there's ever a time that I need God's protection and provision in my life, it's now. I need God with me now. He knows a future that I can't even see. And I've heard all the things from the experts, many of whom don't know Jack, obviously by what we're living in because of certain policies, but that's a separate message for another day. It's an election this week, and I promised myself I wouldn't talk about it. But the reality is we need this truth, not just for when life is good, but because sometimes life goes wheels off. And we need to be not just functioning in obedience on the good days, we need to be in a place where we are prepared for life going wheels off because Jesus said it, and he does not lie, in this world you will have trouble. And that comes from many different angles in many different ways, and one of them is some of what's happening right now. And God offers his provision and his protection. And I need that in my life, and you need that in your life. And this issue, the issue of finances, touches every single area of your life. 
So I want to go to, the, to a passage in the Old Testament, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible, 1 Kings chapter 17. The Bible says, the word of the Lord came to him, a prophet. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. She responds in verse 12, as surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. It's important to understand the context of this passage and what was happening in history. Historically, this region was in about the sixth month of what would be a three and a half year deep recession. Everybody was broke. And she is a widow, which was not a good place to be in that society, in that culture. She's very limited in what she can do about her situation. She's facing an impossible scenario with not a lot of options. And Elijah the prophet says, hey, I want you to make a little bit of food and bring me some of the food first. Then make some for you and your son. Bring that to me first. And her response, just like a lot of Christ followers' response when God says, hey, put me first financially, how... I wish I could. I just don't have it. I, I'd love to, and maybe one day I can be at that place, but right now, it just doesn't work. I, I, I've done the math, and, and I know Scripture, Malachi chapter 3, we're going to look at it in a second, says for the Christ follower, bring the first 10%, the whole tithe, technically in the language, and tithe is just a mathematical term that means 10%. And what is so cool about God is that he is so precise tithe, 10%, not 8%, not 4%, not 2%, 10%, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse Old Testament, church, New Testament. And he says, I'll blow your mind with how much I bless you. It is the only place in all the Bible God says, test me, see if I'm telling you the truth. And if you grew up in church, we know that. We know the first 10% we're supposed to bring to the church out of all of our gain. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, man, I just, that's not possible. That doesn't work for me. Maybe I would, but I, I just, I, I'm not at that place right now. I want you to know two things. Number one, I understand. I wrestled with this even as a pastor for many years. For many years, I did not do this. I ignored the teaching of scripture. I did what this lady did. Man, that'd be nice, but I can't, can't afford to. I didn't see how it could work. The first church I pastored was in Missouri. Angie and I, I grew up in Texas. We moved to Missouri after we got married so I could go to school up there. And I pastored this little country church and they, they paid me $400 a month. And we got to live in the parsonage, which I don't know if you know what that is, but a lot of churches, they own a house for the pastor to live in so they can keep him poor. I mean, so they don't have to pay him as much. They say, here's a house you can live in. And the parsonage we got to live in, it was about a 20-year-old mobile home and to make sure the roof would not blow off, it had tires, uh, semi-tires stacked all over it just to keep the roof on. The, the master bedroom, the bay window is beautiful. You open the curtains and you had a, an incredible view of the church cemetery. It was awesome. And I rationalized in my mind like this. I, I, I would, but I can't. Like, they only pay me 400 bucks a month and occasionally give me a dead pig for us to eat on for a while. Like, th that's all they're doing. I can't tithe. I, I'm going to let what they should be paying me versus what they're paying me, that'll be my tithe. 
Just like some of you, I helped somebody the other day. That's my tithe. No, no, no. The thing about the scripture, it says your tithe comes to the local church. There are a lot of great organizations. That's not tithing. That's generosity. The tithe, God says, comes to the local church. And many of you are in that place of, just like she was, I don't have it. I just don't have it. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make, it, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then, first to me, and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. He's saying, if you do this, God will come through. That's how faith works. We, we try to flip faith. And we try to say to God, okay, God, if you do this, if you provide everything I need, if you give me the raise, the bonus, the new job, if you help me navigate this, God, then I'll do, no, 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 that's, that's not faith. Faith is leaning into what I cannot see and what I do not know will work out because I'm choosing to trust God and what he says. So before it's worked out, I act as though it will. I trust God and what he says. Here's the principle, the principle of the first. Wherever I put God first in my life, I invite him into that area of my life. Wherever, it doesn't just work when it comes to our finances, in your marriage, in your parenting, as you think about your career, in your friendships and relationships, wherever I put God first in my life, I invite him into that area of my life. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. We meet about 50 Sundays a year. We don't meet on the Sunday closest to July 4th. We don't meet on the Sunday after Christmas. We meet about 50 Sundays a year. How would your life be different if you went away each Sunday and did whatever God spoke to you? How would your marriage be different? How would your home be different, your relationships, your friendships? How would your finances be different? She went away and did as Elijah told her, so there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. And the so there was food would not be there if it wasn't for the she went away and did as Elijah had told her. Where are and what are the so's that are missing in your life because you've prayed and pondered rather than acting and doing? What are the things you've heard and you know from Scripture that you've thought, yes, yeah, true, it's the Word of God? What are the things on Sundays you, you sometimes think, yes, mm, it's true, and then do nothing with it? What are the so's that you have locked up and kept God from doing everything He wants to do in your life because you've not stepped into that level of trust? And there's something about God that what comes first to God is a big deal. There's something about God. He, he's so audacious in this. He thinks because he's God, he deserves first place. And he has no interest in being second place, third place, fourth place. He, he thinks he needs to be in first place. You go all the way back to the book of Genesis, chapter four. The Bible says, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soul as an offering to the Lord. In the course of time, when he got ready, when it was convenient, what he decided, how he decided, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soul as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. 
The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. When it comes to your financial life and putting God first and bringing the whole tithe to the local church, are you... Are you a in-the-course-of-time kind of person? When I get ready, and what's convenient, and if I have it, and if it logically makes sense to me, and if, if it works out, and if I'm, not, if I'm not trying to save up for the new iPhone or get a new car, like if, if, if in those convenient moments, in the course of time, is, is that you? Or are you a, like Abel, I'm bringing the first and the best? God comes first even in this area of my life because wherever I put God first in my life, I invite him into that area of my life. And God says, hey, you will live far better on 90% of what you make, bringing 10% to me and getting my protection and my provision than you will ever live on 100% without my protection and provision. God says he comes first. So I was thinking this week, man, it would be nice. It would be nice if I could give somebody $100. I just had that thought. Like somebody in church should get $100. So Tanya, I'm going to give you $100, but, but here's what I'm going to ask. Before I give it to you, you need to know this. I'm going to give you $100, but I'm going to ask for $50 back. Is that okay? I'm giving you $100, but I want $50 back. So there's $100, and then I need you to give me $50 back. So you have $50 left. That means you can go to Starbucks twice. <laughs> she got 50 bucks. Remember what I said? Sit close to the front. Sit close to the front. Remember? <laughs> you never know. Here's the reality. God could have said, bring me 50%. It's all mine. No, 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 no. I'm a self-made person. You don't understand. I've worked hard for everything. I had two jobs, put myself through school. I worked hard for the bonuses. I climbed the ladder. Okay, good for you, Jethro, but who do you think gave you the acumen and the ability to do that? Who puts the oxygen in your lungs every day for you to function? He could have said, he could have said, live on 10% and bring me 90. But our God is such a generous God, I'm going to give you this back and I'm going to keep 10. There's 90 bucks for you. He says, you keep 90 and you give me 10. Who never said going to church doesn't work for people? <laughs> but when you think about it, God, God could have said, live on 10. He said, live on 90, but you bring me the first 10%. And it has nothing to do with money and everything to do with trust. Everything to do with trust. Do you trust God to keep his word? Do you trust God to be your provider and protector? We, we know what's in Scripture. It's right there on the pages. Balakai chapter 3, he, he tells us very clearly, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And it's the only time the, only time the Bible ever says it's 66 books, God's message to you and me. Right here he says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Test me in this. It's the only time he says to do that. So this morning, in a few moments, I'm going to ask you to join me and Angie. 
in what we're calling a 90-day tithing challenge. And here's how this is going to work. For the next 90 days, starting today, every time you get paid, every time I get paid, every time there's financial gain in our lives, we bring the first 10% to C3. Now, let me tell you this. If you get to the end of 90 days and you feel like, man, God hasn't blessed me, we will give you back everything you gave as long as you tithe. You bring five bucks a week. No, tithe. 90-day tithing challenge, 10%. If you feel like God doesn't bless you, we'll give you everything back you gave in 90 days, plus Angie and I will personally add $100. That's how much I believe in this because it's not about what I want from you, it's what I want for you. And here's how I'll prove it to you. If you think I'm trying to manipulate you, if you think I'm trying to just get up in your business and get a bunch of money for C3, if you, if you think that's my motive, tithe to a different church. Now, if you get to the end of 90 days and you feel like that didn't work, we're not giving you your money back. You didn't give it here. <laughs> Go ask them if they'll do that. But if, if you think I'm trying to manipulate you, don't give it here. Man, I, I, you need to be able to trust me. You don't have to do that. Give it somewhere else. That's fine. I want you to experience what God wants to do in your life. I don't want you to live locked up because a lack of obedience in an area that is a huge deal to God, and he knows it's a huge deal to us, 10%, but it's what God says. Do you trust him or not? And by the way, if you're a Christ follower and you're trusting him to get you to heaven, you can't trust him to get you to your next paycheck. You can't trust him to get you to retirement. You can't trust him to take care of your needs and your expenses. This is an issue of trust. I have three guys that are going to help me. Y'all come right up here. Uh, Zach, Jan, Kirby. Help me thank them. They're going to help me. They're, they're awesome guys. I want you to imagine for a moment that I'm going to go on a trip. I'm going to be gone for three months. And I'm going to give each of you guys something and I want you to take care of my bride. I want you to make sure financially she's taken care of. So I'm going to give you $10,000 a month. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> but I'm going to give you $10,000 a month. I want you to give Angie $1,000 a month. Kirby, I'm going to give you $10,000 a month. I want you to give Angie $1,000 a month. Zach, I'm going to give you $10,000 a month. I want you to give Angie $1,000 a month. I want you to make sure... Her financial needs are met. She's in good shape. I'm going to be gone three months. I'm gone three months. I get back. Look at that. Didn't age a bit. I'm already back, and I come. Jan, I talked to Angie. She said you, get, you gave her $1,000 a month. Thank you for taking care of my bride. She is the most precious thing to me. I adore her. I love her. She's everything to me. You took care of her. That means a ton to me. Kirby, I talked to Angie, and she said that you, the first month you gave her $1,000, but the next month you gave her $1,500, and then the third month you gave her $2,000. Man, that, that's my bride. And the way you cared for her and took care of her, it means the world to me. And I deeply appreciate it. Zach, I, I talked to Angie, and she said she never heard from you. So, Zach, what you need to understand, we're about to go to the train station, but what you need to understand, what you need to understand is that is my bride. There's nothing in this world more precious to me than my bride. And I asked you and I trusted you to take care of her. And you let me down and you disappointed me and you robbed me. Because what I gave you was mine. Scripture teaches that God calls the church the bride of Christ. 
It's such a big deal to God, this idea of church. And if you have a bad taste in your mouth about church, that's because we as imperfect people and a lot of guys that do what I do, pastors, have not represented our perfect Jesus very well. The problem is not Jesus or the idea of the church. The problem is often how we mess it up. But the reality is God says the church is the bride of Christ. It's the hope of the world. We've seen 184 people give their lives to Jesus in one year. But listen, that's with about 30% of you tithing and 70% of you robbing God. Can you imagine what could have happened in the last year? can't go back in time. Even God understands that. So let's imagine what can happen in the next year, what God wants to do in your life when he says, hey, test me, try me, what he wants to do in your life, and then what he wants to do through you in the life of C3 so that we can help as many people as possible find hope in a relationship with Jesus. Thank you, guys. And Zach would never do that, by the way. He's awesome. So, so when God looks at you, How are you taking care of his bride? You're going to run to him when you need something. You're going to pray. You're going to ask him, God, I I, I want this. And you want God to bless you. But you don't do the simple thing that he asked in taking care of his bride when everything you have he's given you or provided a way for you to have. And Scripture says in Malachi, right before verse 10, when we don't tithe, we rob God. I don't know what area of your life, and I don't know how big or how long, but some of you, part of the reason you live locked up is this single issue. Because you're not living a life where you fully trust God. You're relying on you and what you can make and how you navigate your finances. Man, you will live far better on 90% with God's protection and provision than anything you can do in and out of yourself. But there's something else. One one more thing. If you have time, just a second, I want to show you. Verse 15. She went away and did as Elijah had told her, so there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil not run dry, in keeping with the word the Lord had spoken by Elijah. God, God has this amazing track record. Look at the pages of Scripture. You will never find in all of eternity one lie. You will never find one occasion where God didn't come through and do exactly what he said. He means what he says, and he says what he means. But then verse 22, what happens is the lady's son gets sick, and he dies. And Elijah prays for him. Verse 22, the Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. Can I ask you a question? If she had not made that bread and given it to him first, weeks before. Would Elijah have still been there? When you and I trust God and we give him that first 10% and we do what he says and we're obedient to what Jesus teaches, if you call yourself a Christ follower, it means you follow the teachings of Jesus. When we do that, we invite his provision and protection. Elijah's still hanging out because she obeyed. And they're being fed, and Elijah's being fed because she said, okay, I'll trust what the prophet of God is saying. I'll I'll, I'll act on what God is saying. Here's why that's important for you and for me. I have no idea. No idea what the next few months are going to look like. 
I don't know what's going to happen Tuesday. But in some ways, while it matters a lot, it doesn't matter near as much as who Jesus is. I don't know what's going to happen over the next two years, four years, ten years. I, I don't know what's coming. You don't either. I want to position myself and my family in such a way that whatever's coming that I don't know about but God does, I have his protection and provision for. This young man's resurrection was directly related to his mother's obedience. And there may be some things in your life that you feel like are dying. Some things in your life in the future that you feel like are going to die. But our God has always been in the business of resurrecting dead things. But when I don't obey, and when I don't trust him, and I don't bring the first 10% of my money, I mean, money, you're not taking any of it with you when you take your last breath. Why would you not do that? Like, I get it, it's tough, it's uncomfortable, but it's an adjustment that the you of five years from now will give the you of today a standing ovation for if you do it. So I want to make sure in a future where things have the potential of dying in my life, I have God's protection and provision there with me. It's why now, not when things get even worse, now, not when things are awesome, now, as we're in a difficult time, man, you, I we got to kick this in because I want God, I desperately want God, the verse in Malachi, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Hey, sir, ma'am, I didn't make this up. That's been in the scriptures for a couple thousand years, actually a little longer. That's God saying, test me Try me, prove me. And this is a step you need to take. Well, okay, you talked about it, but it's all Old Testament. And I, I, I think Jesus came and made everything new, and we're not under the law anymore. It's all Old Testament. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. See, I've met people that rationalize their way out of obedience because of selfishness. I've never met somebody that said, oh, the tithe, that's an Old Testament concept. I've never met a person that says that that invest financially at any degree in their church. It's an excuse to not do what God asked us to do, but it also reveals biblical ignorance. Matthew, New Testament, chapter 23, verse 23, Jesus talking, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth tithe of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting, Jesus endorses it, the tithe, the former because he knows it's not about money, it's about trust. So I want to ask you to do something that I believe with everything in me is going to change your life. I want you to take your cell phone. Everybody grab your cell phone. You're going to need this because I want to ask you to do something. We've not done this on other Sundays. Grab your cell phone. This is new. It's not how we typically end the service. Uh, It's going to be a different text, but I'm asking you to join me and Angie in the 90-day tithing challenge. That means when you get paid this week, first 10%, you're going to go online or you bring it next Sunday, however. But every time you get paid, God gets the first. That's why I love, I've set up through our our free, secure, safe online system, I've set up, Angie and I, automated giving, where if I get paid on a Tuesday, it goes. If I get paid on Thursday, I don't have to wait till Sunday. Because I want God to be first in every possible way as much as I can. And listen, remember I told you, I get it. If, if, if you struggle with this, I get it. It was a huge struggle for me. I didn't do this for years, even as a pastor. I'm ashamed of that. And man, what I've seen God do, 
It, it was easy for Angie. She just has that level of trust and faith. It was very difficult for me. So if you struggle with this, you and I are best friends. I understand. But what I've seen God do and what I've, what I've experienced that God has done, it has blown my mind. His word has been true. So while I didn't do it for a long time, years ago, I began to. Now Angie and I are in the place where every year we increase the percentage. We give a tithe plus well over that. We increase the percentage of what we give to C3. And God has blessed through a number of things, some real estate deals. We sold a house about a year ago and, and just made stupid profit, just like crazy profit. And you know what I was excited about and Angie was excited about? The first 10% out of that profit came to C3. It's the first percent of our gain. It's the first 10% of everything that comes in we bring to the local church. So for the next 90 days, whatever comes in, first 10% goes to God. It's called obedience. It's called following Jesus. And remember, if we get to the end of the 90 days, Malachi said, see if I won't pour out the blessings, open the floodgates of heaven beyond what you can hold the blessings. If we get to the end of 90 days and you feel like, hey, God didn't do that, you'll get everything back plus $100 from me and Angie. No questions asked. It just has to be a tithe, not a tip. So grab your phone, and I want to encourage you. I'm going to do this with you. I want you to text the word STEP. Text the word STEP to 407-559-6767. When you send that text, it's going to send you back a link. Click on that link. And then it's going to ask for your information. Here's why I want this. If you're doing the 90-day tithing challenge, I'm going to be praying for you by name every single day. And so if you'll put your name in, first name, last name. We're having you all type this in your phones because we can't read your writing. First name, last name. <laughs> and then it asks for email and phone number. Now, that's optional. You don't have to do that. Let me tell you why I'm asking for it. Through this 90 days, I'd love to be able to email you and encourage you. I'd love to be able to maybe text you occasionally and say, hey, how are things going? Is there anything specific I can be praying for you in this season? I'd love to be able to connect with you, communicate with you. And so if you'd like to give us your email address, your phone number, uh, be sure and do that. And then down at the bottom, there's the Malachi 310 verse. At the bottom, right beside tithe, click that box. I'll be taking the 90-day tithing challenge. That just lets me know so I can know better how to pray for you. Under that, some of you, you already tithe. You're a Christ follower, but your tithe has been on cruise control. You don't even think about it. And God may be calling you to lead into generosity. That's over and above the tithe. We are not generous. There is no generosity until I'm bringing the first 10%. 10% is not the goal, it's the starting point. The first 10% is the tithe. After that, whatever I give is generosity. Generosity, sacrificial, God may lead some of you to do that. Generosity and sacrificial gifts, you pray about. But the reason we're having you fill out this morning, jumping in the 90-day tithing challenge, I do not need to pray, you do not need to pray about what God's already said. Generosity on top of, sacrificial on top of, you pray about. I don't know what he's going to show you. I do know for every Christ follower, he said, first 10% bring to the local church, Old Testament storehouse, New Testament local church, so the church can be the hope of the world and we can impact the world, and you're being faithful to the bride of Jesus. Once you check that, you hit submit, We'll get your info, all that go in, and I want you to know I will be praying for you, and I can't wait. Every time we do this, it happens. I can't wait for the emails, the conversations, the text about what God's doing in your life. Does that mean it's going to be easy, like you're just on 90 days to eat? No, 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 because remember, you and I have an enemy. 
And he's going to do everything he can to discourage you. When I say yes to what God asked me to do, the enemy kicks it off and into a higher gear to try to discourage me and stop it. But the biblical pattern for success has always been consistency. No team that quits in the third quarter ever wins a game. You want to be consistent. And I'm praying for you. Shoot me the text or some cells carriers the text is an issue with. You can go to c3church.cc forward slash step. It'll say click here. You can fill out the same online form there. I'm praying for you. I love you. Can't wait to see what God does. Hey, this week, let's be the hope of the world. Invite somebody to come next Sunday. Don't miss next Sunday. It's going to be awesome. I love you. God bless you and all of you. Have an amazing week. Take care. Thank you so much for watching with us this morning. If you would like to be a part of this life-changing movement and give, you can go to giveC3.cc or text C3Orlando to 77977. And we want to thank you for your faithful generosity. And if you're in Central Florida, please join us Sunday mornings, 930 or 11 a.m. in person. Have a great week.